1: helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. We start this new year with the 20th episode of my monthly feature, Our Voices, an inside look into my guest's life journey, one that may be very different than you'd expect. We'll discuss ways to accelerate social change that levels the playing field and helps everyone live to their full potential. I encourage you to listen with curiosity and without judgment to this account, what it means to grow up, go to school, struggle, work, and live in our world. My guest today is the youngest ever to be featured on my show, and I'm thrilled to celebrate the start of 2022 with the voice of a young person on the rise. She's a 16-year-old junior at the Lime Old Lime High School in Connecticut. She's very into athletics, that is doing them, not so much watching them. And we'll hear more about that. And she's a lover of art. One of the things I'm most moved by is how she's learned to work with her dyslexia and also to be a big advocate for helping others appreciate what this is like, including the struggles and what she needs to learn effectively. I'm grateful for her sharing her experience and helping all of us to be more sensitive and supportive so that all can reach their full potential. So I am so delighted to welcome Leah Wilson. Leah, welcome to
2: Say It Skillfully.
3: Hi. I'm so nervous. I can't stop smiling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love your smile. So keep on smiling. Um, listen, you're a very bright light, nothing to be nervous for, Of um, and there's no wrong way to do this. So we're all good here. I'm just tickled pink, frankly, because I'm wowed by you. I watched you figure skate when you were tiny. Um, I don't know that I've watched uh, you in future sports, uh, but Um, You've really um, wowed me with your sense of self, my friend. So I'm really grateful if you just spent a little time taking our listeners around the world through what it's been like growing up to be you.
3: Uh, I have not had a very normal childhood. Um, I've moved around a lot. I've been in like four different apartments and then I moved to a house for high school I've been to so many different schools and like had to like go through things that someone wouldn't expect to go through till they're like 30. It's, it's been chaotic. I just want a break, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could appreciate that. And I think the COVID thing has been nuts too. Oh
2: my so God, share a yeah. bit about when
3: you first
1: started um, growing up before school, where were you folks living?
3: I was um, on the Upper East Side in New York, New York City.
0: Okay.
1: And how did you like that area?
3: Um, I loved it. Like really anywhere I was living in the city, I was like happy with.
1: And would you say you're a city versus a more country gal? Cause now you're listening, like living in quite a different environment.
3: Um, I, I think I prefer the city. I, I like having a break from the city and like going to Connecticut and like Um, Going up to my grandma's house, which is just rural. Um, But like, overall, I think I'd much rather live in a city because everything's much closer. There's more people. It's just like, more accessible, in my opinion.
1: That's so great. I um, did not grow up in a big city and frankly, don't think I could have handled it because I just is not, I'm not as savvy as you are. So I am wondering were your, was your mom in particular, were they nervous at all about you running around the city or was it just kind of a fact of. They of, were
3: definitely uh, really nervous about me going out, out on my own. So um, how did
1: you handle that?
3: I mean, it's just, you kind of, they, kind of had to give me that that trust at first to see where I would go and see if I was actually capable of like going out on my own and it was like a build-up to that it's not like okay you're however many years old go off on your own it took convincing for them to like say I wanted to go home on my own I had to prove to them that I could do it on my own
1: so do you remember like was this going back and forth to school your parents used to walk you to school or how did you get to school
3: um, I lived almost an hour away, even though it was like not even half a mile away distance. Um, but like I we would take the subway and like the bus, like all the public transportation. And I just had to show them that I was able to understand and like navigate the system. Like, Do you remember I, the very knew- first time
1: Do you remember the first time you came home by yourself?
3: I was so nervous. <laughs> um, <laughs> I told my dad. Dad, I want to go home on my own today. Okay, I think you can do it. Like he had no doubt in me because he told me later, if he told me he was nervous for me, it would kind of make me nervous subconsciously. Like, oh my God, my dad doesn't think I could do it. I I don't think I can do it. So his first step was saying, like, I can do it with no issues. And if I ever need anything, he's a phone call away because I had a phone at the time because that's the generation I live in.
1: (laughs) Wow. So how old were you when this all happened?
3: I was either ten or eleven years old.
1: Wow. So, uh, sibling, I think you have a brother. Talk to me about your brother and your relationship with him.
3: I have an older brother, and we've always been close. We've had our fights here and there, but it's really just we're we're really good together. Like, I love my brother. <laughs> so, it's, it's hard that he moved away to college, though. Because it's just kind of like he was there all the time. I saw him all the time. We spent a lot of time together and then he's just kind of gone.
1: Yeah, that can be hard to do, do. Would you say you're very similar in personality, very different?
3: Um, I wouldn't say we're very different or similar. We're just kind of our own people. We do things in common, but we also do our own things.
1: That's nice. You've always had a great sense of yourself. So talk to us about you know, charting your way through school and sports. Um, was that something your parents encouraged you or did you come running home and saying, I want to do this and that and the other?
3: Um, I was, I had a lot of friends that were doing a whole bunch of different things and I didn't want to just do one thing. So I'm kind of like, mom, can I do basketball? Dad, can I try out volleyball? How about figure skating? Oh, actually the figure skating and ballet and gymnastics were all my mom's idea because she, she had told me what, actually recently that she put me in all those things because she knew i was going to be tall so she knew i needed that like balance so she wanted me to be well composed so she's like ballet that's what you're doing when you're like two years old so i went to all those things for many years slowly after one another i dropped gymnastics and it was ballet or, yeah ballet and then recently i dropped skating because i moved
1: i see And, uh, one of the things that I am wowed by you is you are not a short person. So how tall are you?
3: I am six foot in like a half, a little over six foot.
1: Wow. Do you think you're done growing?
3: No, I am not done growing. (laughs) That's fantastic.
1: So, uh, is basketball in the loop? Do you play basketball?
3: No, I, I am much taller than the average player and I get one too many elbows in the chest. So it was not my kind of sport.
1: (laughs) I never would have guessed that. That's fantastic. So say more about sports. What, uh, what role did sports play for you, Leah?
3: That was my like output of like my energy. It was my workout. It was the way I had fun. That was just, I never really thought about it, but it was a lot of my life. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: contrast you did some individual and you did some team sports. And what did you take away from the, the, the two?
3: Um, that there's no I in team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, I, I learned how to work with people very well from a very young age. Cause like you need to communicate with your teammates if you want to do well. And like doing individual sports made me confident in what I was doing because I had, I had no backup that I was the backup.
1: You're so amazing. Do you remember being like not confident in yourself?
3: Um, Only when I was very little because my parents were so nurturing. They're like, you can do it. Like if you can, if you think you can, I know you can kind of a thing. So they always had in their mind if they encouraged me to do what I wanted without a doubt, that it would give me that that extra oomph to like actually be able to do it that's so fabulous.
1: Um, talk about, uh, school, school work, you know, and, and this dyslexia thing has been a, a, a journey for you. And so I'm really oh, yeah. keen to hear about it.
3: Um, I went to a special education school for five years and that was like, it's a little bubble. And I, I had a lot, I had a great time. I had a lot of, a lot of close friends cause I grew up with some of them. Um, and like, it, it really helps me to understand everything about dyslexia and every other um, neurodivergent, like symptoms that are out there, like dyscalculia, um, ADHD, dysgraphia, all that other stuff.
1: So how do you, the earlier days, because I think diagnosing is really important to, to get on top of it early. And do you recall how that happened?
3: It was a mess. <laughs> um, I was diagnosed in third grade because uh, I was constantly feeling sick because I didn't like reading it. I my mom says it's because I'm a cancer that it, all my feelings go to my stomach. But I got very anxious when it came to school and I would physically feel sick and I would constantly be at the nurse and they're like, OK, there's something wrong. And they did so many different testings on me like like physical mental like all that and um no one told me that I had dyslexia they had figured it out and they told me that hey Leah you're going to a new school next year I'm like oh okay why because oh okay (laughs) and I didn't I didn't know I had dyslexia till uh probably fifth grade someone said oh you have dyslexia I'm like what's that Cause like they talked about it and I didn't know why I was at this school. I just knew it was a different school. I didn't know what it was for, why it was different, why there's so few kids there or anything like that.
1: Wow. So as you figured this out, when you went back with your parents, what was the thinking and not cluing you into the fact that you had dyslexia?
3: They just didn't think about it. They they didn't want to hide it from me. They just forgot to tell me that I had dyslexia. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that is really something.
3: So as
1: you, um, so help us, you know, in the learning and, and like, what's it like for folks? And so in, in your case, and I know you're, you're not speaking up for everyone, but, um, share with us, like, what, what is it like, you know, if you're trying to read, uh, what's the experience for you?
3: Um, reading is still very stressful for me. Uh, like I, I, if i'm ever told to read in front of people i will say no because it's not embarrassing but it's just kind of disheartening to know that i can't do it as well as other people um but i have all these like assistive technologies that help me out through like just getting on my own like i have so many apps on my phone there for to read text messages or take a picture of a book to read me the page. And it's like my phone. If I get a text message, I have an option to like listen to it instead of having to read it. So it, it's it's a struggle still.
1: Help us, because I don't know. So when you look at letters, like what do you see?
3: I I see letters.
1: And you see letters, and and the, I don't
3: really see words unless I try hard.
1: Words. I see. And so if it, they help you in the school. And this is really, I mean, I, you know, as you can tell, I have no background on it. So I'm really
3: I, I don't even know how they helped me at the school. Like I I went to Steven Gainer and they are like they are like the school if you have a learning difference. And I don't I don't know what they did to help me figure everything out. Because I'm always going to live with dyslexia. There's never a cure for it. It's always something I'm just going to have. Mm-hmm. So they can't necessarily treat it. Because it's at a certain age, you kind of just stop. It doesn't work anymore. Like that's what my teachers are coming to. Like my teachers at my high school are realizing now that they're trying to help. But I I just can't break or like, I can't learn anymore to like break the habit of what I have, I guess.
1: Yeah. And how did you come into good relationship with this being a fact of your life? I could imagine and, and let, let us know, like re- resenting, say, I wish I weren't this way. Or you know, how have you come whole with it?
3: I still wish I could read because it does make my life a bit more difficult. Um but I'm sorry. I forgot the question.
1: <laughs> well, it's just, it's more about how, um, you come in, you know, it's, sometimes, you know, you could feel like, sorry for yourself that you have it or wish you didn't, you know, have it. And, and you, but you've, you just seem to be coping and really, I feel like when I've talked to you, you're like, okay, I've got this. And, you know, we even talked about the fact that it's, you could learning disability. Sometimes you hear, you hear this, you use the word learning difference. And I think you and your mom talked about the fact that it's neurodivergent. It's yeah. just a different way that you um, are able to, to learn.
3: Yeah. My school taught me not to say disability because I'm not disabled. I'm just thinking differently, but it's, I don't want to say I have a learning disability because that's, I think, too harsh, but I don't want to say learning difference because I feel like that's just sugarcoating it. I, I come to like to what my mom says about neurodivergent because I just, my brain works differently than other people's.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense to me. How do you handle, you know, if, if for example, someone says, oh, read this to me and, They don't know that you have dyslexia. How do you handle that conversation with them?
3: I mean, like a conversation like that's very simple. It's like, oh, I have dyslexia. And if they don't understand, it's like, oh, I have a tough time with things like reading and all that. I'll just explain it to them. But if I get some talk back of some sort where it's like, oh, what, you can't read that, then um, I've learned to deal with those kind of people.
1: So let's lean into this because we are, after all, on the Say It Skillfully show. So how do you handle that when someone is, you know, I don't know if it's snarky, You give us an example of some of the things that have happened to you.
3: Um, one time I had my cousin, I, uh, interaction with my cousin about this, where I asked her to read something to me and she knows I have dyslexia. She's known for years. This is probably two or three years ago, but she said, what, you can't read it. And I just straight up said, I can't you know this and she like she kind of shut down because she's like oh right and it's I'm not sure if she truly forgot or what but it's kind of like I ask you to do something for me and I get kind of like some sort of like poor reaction back is like what what happened and it's just like (laughs) A lot of the time, if they're not very nice to me, I'll be very, not mean or like stern. I'll be like more stern saying like, I need it. Or like if they're saying, I don't know if I'm making sense. I feel like I'm talking gibberish right now.
1: <laughs> you make perfect sense to me. Okay. You're telling us how you respond to people who, you know, aren't being so skillful. So this is the whole yeah. point of the show. We love it.
3: Um, but it it's it kind of depends on the person it's not one set way I deal with it it's like if you are trying to like put me down for what I have we're gonna have an issue and you're gonna know why it's an issue <laughs> and it's not like I'm just gonna let a like go away I'm gonna acknowledge the fact that you are kind of treating me differently because of this
1: and how often has that happened to you
3: um more often than I would have liked but not that often. I've had a couple of teachers have that happen and some random people I've met and family members.
1: Wow. Teachers, that would seems to me that would be a challenging one since they're the ones supposedly educating you. Can you yeah. unpack one of those examples for us?
3: Yeah. this has, The only problems I've had with teachers is in my current school, which is a public high school. Because previous years I've been at a private school and they are very aware of what I have and like at Gator they taught us all about it so they were so conscious of it but this school is I don't know what what happens but teachers forget or they're mean about it I had a teacher last year and I have an accommodation to take tests in a separate location and have extra time to take the test And I had asked to go to this separate room because I do it out of like politeness to ask to go, but I'm going to go anyway. But I had asked him to go and he said, no, it's a short test. It's so easy. And I kind of, I took it in for a second and I was thinking to myself, it's not that easy, but I had said to him that like quite loudly. So the rest of the class could hear, I told him, I have dyslexia, and this is one of my accommodations. I'm legally allowed to use it if I want to. You can't deny me this. And he kind of quietly said, okay, go, and rolled his eyes at me and handed me the test, and I walked out. And it's like he knew I had dyslexia. He knew I had these accommodations, and he just thought I didn't need them.
1: Mm. Way to go to stand on your two feet and uh, stand tall. Was that a natural for you? Was it a little bit intimidating to hold your own on that? Or you were like, I'm going there.
3: Um, No, it was immediately I'm going there because I'm not going to try to be hesitant or beat around the bush because if you are trying to make my life more difficult than it already is, that's not okay with me. And I, you need to know that because it's like a lot of people when they have a learning difference, they are very timid about it and don't want to talk about it. It's like, Oh, it's not an issue. Don't like, this is not brought up at the dinner table. But I was taught that if you are denied this, speak up for yourself because then you're not going to get what you need. And then you are going to fail because you don't get the things you need.
1: You're spectacular. So Leah, help us understand what, are some of the things that you need to work through this dyslexia?
3: Um, I have an IEP that gives me these accommodations to help me get through school. And I can take tests in separate locations. Um, I can either get like time and a half of the set time. You can take a test or double time. I get a reader whenever I want. I can get a scribe whenever I want. And I get a word bank. And any unless it's a spelling test, any words I misspell, I will not get penalized for it. Those are just some of the things I have.
1: Yeah, no, that's helpful. I am asking because I really have no idea. When you, when you when you hear the word spelling, uh, does that like give you heartburn? Is that something that's
3: so sort of um,
1: traumatizing?
3: I mean, spelling now for me is is kind of comical because it's like Oh, you're asking me, the dyslexic, to spell a word for you. Think about that for a second. (laughs) And then it's like sometimes people just carelessly forget. And they're like, oh, my God, I forgot. I'm so sorry. And it's like that we'll be on our way. It's like I don't talk about it. It's like, hey, don't say that kind of a thing. It's like I've learned to grow with it. So I find it. I don't find it hurtful when people joke about it because I myself do it to myself because sometimes it can be comical and I'll spell a word completely wrong, think it's spelt right. And they're like, you know, it doesn't have two T's or it's not spelt with a K, it's spelt with a C. And I'm like, are you serious?
1: So for my listeners, we have talked a lot about the Metaskill, the energy of lightness. And I just want to congratulate you, Leah, for being able to bring on the lightness the humor, a little bit of self-deprecation or what have you to get through sometimes, you know, little dodgy situations. And you're just so mature beyond your years. I'm just wowed. Um, I, I heard you say, you know, that you don't find this hurtful, but was there a time when you really did feel hurt?
3: Um, no, because I figured out when I was in third grade that something was different about me. And the school I went to taught us to never demean others for what they have. And if we did, it, it, (laughs) this is also what my dad told me, don't take like people's words to heart. They have their own things going on. So it's, they're telling me a lot more about them than they are telling me about myself. So I never found, there was never a time where I'm like, oh, they're insulting me about my dyslexia. This hurts my feelings. It's because it's always just been I have it. If you have an issue with it, you have an issue with me and then we shouldn't be friends.
1: I love how you're so clear on this and this notion, as I've said on the show to countless adults that, you know, when someone is not acting in a way that we might like that, it we have this self-compassion, we have this compassion for them because they're not in a good place with themselves. And for you to have learned that. And I'm so happy that your dad's been such a big um, teacher on advocating for yourself because that really comes through. And that's super, super, super empowering. Um, Talk a bit about your relationship with your parents. When do you go to your mom? When do you go to your dad?
3: Um, I tend to go to my dad more. I have a great relationship with both my parents. Like my whole family, we're very close. We love each other. There's minimal issues. But I have a tendency to go to my dad whenever I have problems because I'm used to him being home. It's weird for my mom to be home all the time now because she was working all the time. She would wake up at six, come home at nine, and, and like be working all day. And I couldn't text or call because she was probably in a meeting on a call. So I, it's habit to go to my dad. So when I realize, oh, my mom's around, I'll go to her and I'll talk to her about my school day and like what went wrong and how can I fix it. So it's. I go to both my parents whenever I have an issue, but I go to my dad more because I kind of forget that my mom's always around now.
1: Yeah. That's so great. So talk uh, to me about the working mom and what she does and how does that, how has that impacted how you think about work and, and your career, not to fast forward. Okay. We're not trying to have you grow up any faster than you already are.
3: People talk about college so often it hurts. Um, <laughs> but I think it's great that my mom works so much because she is also very like strong and she knows her ways and no one can like shoot her down. Like she grew up with these old men who are set in their ways where women can't work. And she pushed down all those barriers because she knew that they were wrong and that she could do better. So she's always had that mentality of like, It doesn't matter what my gender is. If I can do it, I can do it any better than anyone else. So she's been like that her whole life. She's talking to me about when she was like in her 20s working um, for the government and like how there's just old men not wanting her to work. And she, she knew how to navigate the system to like excel in life. She ended up leaving that job and working for HSBC. I think it is. Things that's where she's been working for the past like 20 years um but she she loves to work and she is very good at what she does and uh she like everyone knows that she is like the person to go to when there's an issue it's not some boss it's like if there's an issue and the boss tells like whoever to go to her if there's an issue about the fact she's a woman that's not going to be an issue for much longer. (laughs) I I
1: love the wonderful role model and how you're, you've really talked to your mom about it and, and how she's really emboldened you, you know, to, to bring it on and to stand so tall. And that's just such a, you know, for all the parents out there, that's just a great thing is to give young people a sense of self. Um, one of the things that's going on in the workplace is this notion you've probably heard about it, diversity, um, inclusion. Mm. And I am wondering, and, and having heard how it wasn't exactly a level playing field for your mother, Leah, what what do you think about the workplace? Do you think it's pretty level? Um, what are your thoughts?
3: Um, I I don't know. I haven't thought about that, but I can tell you with college applications coming up, I don't think it's a level playing field at all because it doesn't, it's like, yes, colleges come to terms that you have a learning difference, but sometimes they don't care. They're like, oh, if your grades aren't that good, if you don't have this kind of GPA, if you don't participate in this amount of school activities, you shouldn't be coming to our school. Like, I I struggle with getting good grades because, well, I'm not going to say that. I get good grades, but I have these barriers in my way like my surgery and missing a lot of school that come into play where it just makes all my hard work like, come out to basically nothing. Because I, I have teachers that don't really understand what it's like to have everything going on like I do. And like I'm thinking about like people who have high nineties and they're talking about what college they want to go to. And it's like, they want to go to Stanford. They want to go to um, NYU. They want to go to Columbia. And I'm over here. I'm like, I want to go to those schools, but I don't know if I can because on paper it looks like I'm a bad student. But if you talk to me, it's a much different perspective. And a lot of schools now aren't doing verbal interviews because of COVID. So that's, like another peg knocked out from under my feet.
1: Yeah this this college experience and I appreciate it. I can hear a bit of the edginess about it is something that is uh, I just I, I I just wonder about it. How um, how are you finding your way through it? Because there are these some of these systemic things, right? And let's just say they want these grades and you don't have them. How um, are you trying to find a way around it? Are you just Um, kind of dealing with what it is? I mean, I'm just curious how you're approaching it.
3: It's still kind of a mess for how I need to approach it. Um, I'm currently working on an art portfolio and I'm focusing on sports to be kind of my basis. I'm not, like, I want to get good grades, but I'm concerned about the other things that I'm, my mother says I'm gifted at Mm -hmm. that I want to I want to improve. So that can be the thing I'm noticed for. It's not like, Oh, her grades are, are right, but her art is fantastic for however, however old she is.
1: Yeah. I, I don't envy you. And I, I, my heart is out to you. Because I think it's a crazy process to go through. And, um, I hope I, I get that it's stressful and I hope that you can find ways to let the stress go. Cause that doesn't, it doesn't help you are using your energy that way. Um, I, I want to go to this surgery that you had because you, we had talked about something that was really hard for you. And I think this uh, really stands out. So take us through what happened here.
3: Um, so last year during a volleyball season uh, in October, I had an incident or I had a teammate had put her foot underneath me and I rolled my ankle and I thought I was all right. And I could walk out of the, court because it was very end of practice um later that night i couldn't walk anymore and i knew something was wrong because my ankle was so bruised and i could not step on it went to the emergency room the next day and um we got x-rays and they said oh you look fine it looks like you just sprained it um here's a splint here's some crutches and they told me sometimes it's better to break things than sprain things because sprains can be so much worse than breaks And I'm like, oh, then I wish I broke my ankle because that would have made everything so much less complicated. But uh, I went on my day and I was on crutches for two weeks and they said after two weeks, you should be fine to walk. And I started walking again and it did not feel right. But it didn't feel like they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You'll heal soon enough. So I didn't worry about it. But then it comes to three months later and I still can't walk right. And I can't run, it's extremely painful. They're like, you're getting an MRI. I get an MRI, and I think it's like two days later. They um, tell me to come back into the doctor's office, and they tell me, where does it hurt? Because they wanted to make sure that it, like, once I saw the pictures from the MRI, that it wasn't just some synthesized pain that I've made. I put an X on my ankle where it hurt, and they said, you have a supposed bone fragment in your ankle so when i rolled my ankle i didn't just sprain it but a piece of my the bone in my ankle had chipped off and was tearing everything up in my ankle and i was walking on it for three months because i thought everything was okay and they told me someone just canceled you can have surgery in four days like and I that was barely on my radar because they had mentioned it, that like if there's something, the underlying issue, we might need surgery to fix it. I'm like, oh, OK, seems unlikely. They're like, yeah, totally unlikely You're not probably not going to need it. And then it, like after getting those results from the MRI and me telling them what, what my symptoms were and everything like that, they're like, it seems like you need surgery to move this and you can do it in four days. And there's two different ones I can have. A minimal one where they just take the bone fragment out and that's it or I can have the one that's going to take two months to heal and um, they fix everything in my foot they fix all the tendons ligaments um, they take the bone out and all the scar tissue and all that I opted for the bigger surgery because I just wanted everything to be done at once I didn't want to have to go back for a second time for them to fix anything and so I agreed to the surgery my parents were there they're like okay we're doing it at this time. And then I had my surgery and I had a nerve block. My life felt weird, but I couldn't walk for two months, which I didn't realize how long that actually was. I, th- I, I had it in my head as like, Oh, two weeks. I'm good with that. Um, But I opted to go to online school because I'm, I was so drained because the medicine really made me so loopy and all that. And I got out of my cast. I was starting to walk again. I was starting to have an increase in like my mobility again. And then I plateaued and they're like, this is normal. Like, it's okay. You'll get, you'll start to get better at some point. And then it started to plummet again. I couldn't walk anymore. And I told them this and they're like, there, there's hardware in your foot that might be messing everything up. And we might need to, to like put you back into surgery again to take it out and i'm like again and they're like yes this is the only way we can do it they're not dissol- de- dissolvable stitches and all that and i said i think surgery is the way to go because i can't i can't walk anymore it's too painful so i got the second surgery date which was a year later from the initial accident and i i was in the doctor's office and i was at the hospital and like everything was all set and I got a nerve block in my leg the first time and I couldn't feel my whole leg and I didn't know what it was like to get it because they had um, initially given me anesthesia to they put me asleep and then they gave me the nerve block they didn't do that this time they gave me some some sort of (laughs) like laughing gas or whatever And they're telling me, "Oh, you're gonna take the nerve block now," and I'm like, "Isn't that gonna hurt?" They're like, "Oh, don't worry, you're not gonna remember. It's gonna be fine." It was not fine. Traumatizing experience for me. Oh, they started to lean me back, and I see the pull. The they pull out the needle. There's two, and they give these needles are as long as your finger. From like. The base of your thumb to the tip of your pointer finger, like that's how long they were. They stuck the whole thing in my leg, and I was crying because it was so painful. I didn't move my leg though because I knew if I moved it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wreck something. So I was, I was staying completely still. And they told me if it hurt, they'll stop. And I was telling them it hurt, and they were like, "Don't worry, it's almost done." And then they start turning my leg over to the outside so they can get to my inner thigh to give me the second shot. And I'm like, this is not happening right now. Oh, but that pain, I will never forget. And, oh, it was horrible. Ah. (laughs) Poor thing. Oh my God. And after the nerve block, like after I started walking again, I might have permanent nerve damage in my leg because they messed up. I can't feel some of my toes. And my shin and my knee are still numb, and some parts are so sensitive. If I tap it against the wall, I feel like I'm gonna cry. Oh
1: my gosh, poor thing! How how are you in your mobility now?
3: Um, much better. I can I don't have that pain anymore that I've had for a year. I can go skiing now. <laughs> um. I haven't been able to point my toes in a year or like on my right foot. So it, it's incredible to do that again.
1: Oh my gosh. I had no idea that you went through this. So do you feel with the doctors that you'll be back at a, you know, fully mobile, able to do the sports you love so much?
3: Um, I think my doctor has given me the clear to do sports in the winter, but I don't do any winter sports. Um, so I can go back to sp- like c- competing, but it's it's a stretch. I still don't feel comfortable going back onto the volleyball court because um, I never knew how vulnerable my joints were. So I I'm waiting till next season. I'm not going to do any travel at the moment, even though my mom really wants me to.
1: Well. Being someone who's very active and a mover, I um, can't imagine if I were laid up as long as you have been, not to mention at your age. So how have you literally kept it together when you haven't been able to like really literally
2: use up all that energy you have? How have you coped with that?
3: I, I coped with it terribly. I slept so much. I was... I I slept 14 hours a day, probably, and I stopped doing my homework. I I nearly failed the quarter I was out for school, and, like, having to go through that second surgery, I missed a whole week of school again and was still on medication when I was back, and I was, like, it hurt to walk, and I was on crutches, everything, so like i didn't really face the fact i couldn't do anything cuz i i was such an independent person that like i didn't want to get that support that i needed because it made me feel like i was losing at life i guess <laughs> Because, like, I didn't want to ask my parents to get me food because I felt like I was being a burden. I didn't, like, ask for my mom to bring me my medicine. I asked for it to just be kept by me so I can easily, ac- like, access it. And, like, so I I kind of stopped eating. I, like, I had a meal a day at minimum. But I, I ate a lot of food because I was always so active. And then it's, like, a plummet where I just didn't want to eat. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to do anything I liked.
1: Ah, poor thing. I can only imagine your parents' concern. Yeah. So I I like to say, and I don't wish struggles upon anyone, Leah, but, um, getting through them are the defining moments and they can teach us a lot about ourselves, uh, and how much we can take and, um, and, and be better for it. And I know you're still in the midst of um, getting back to full strength, but if you look back objectively, what would you say you learned from this really tough experience?
3: Um, I'd say to suck it up and ask for help when you need it, because not eating enough is not good for you.
1: that's a very wise soul that's a very wise soul um well are you pretty bullish on the path ahead i mean how do you feel about the the next i guess year do you feel like you'll you're in the right place to make a full comeback
3: um i think so i it's more of a slow gain back to where i was because i'm not in physical therapy at the moment but i think by the end of this, this school year, I should be back to at least partly where I was because I lost a lot of that strength I've had. But I think I'll think you'll be able to make a full recovery besides the nerve thing.
1: OK, well, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm My fingers are crossed for that. I, uh, I am kind of wondering about the social scene with school, with COVID. And as a young person, you had this extra working at home because of the surgery. But just take us through what it's been like for you and your friends. How do you stay connected? What's it been like learning online with with teachers?
3: Um, My school was very against online learning because they knew it was not very good for the kids because they had all this social interaction that they're just cut off. It's not healthy. So I'm currently at school with masks. And I would I probably say most of the kids at school are vaccinated, so it gives us that extra security. Um, but we have s- desks that are at least six feet apart. We eat lunch kind of spaced out and all of that. Uh, but I have started this thing with my friends where I have Saturday game nights where I have a big group of friends come to my house and we eat snacks. We watch like movies or something and we play games from like. For like five hours now, <laughs> for, for a really long time, though. And it's a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Yeah, what is the, uh, so at 16, are people dating a lot? What's the boy girl? Oh my God. Uh, so many of my friends are boy crazy, and it drives me crazy because I've never been obsessed with relationships. I'm like, oh, it'd be nice to have someone, but I don't need someone but I know so many of my friends are like, can I have a boyfriend? Oh, I just dated this guy. Oh, what happened to him? Oh, we broke up. I'm like, what happened? So it's a lot of like off and on, trying to figure everything out. And I'm just over here observing it all. Cause I'm like, I like to stay in my little corner, doing my own little thing.
1: Uh, having a, a, f- a few nieces and nephews slightly older than you. That's probably a pretty good strategy. Observe all the drama, take it in, learn from uh, what you would not like to have happen and yeah. <laughs> benefit from other people's other people's mistakes. That's spectacular. Um, when you do look back, I am curious, at such a young age, is there a particular misstep or anything that you might, if you were to do it again, do it a little differently other than not roll your ankle, of course?
3: Well, they took my idea, Why I don't know. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I felt like everything that I've done in my life, I, I, not that I'm going to die, but I could die happy with. It's, I don't feel like I've done something wrong where I wish I could redo it. That's
1: great. That's really great. And I, I hope that that sticks with you, um, your whole life long. Uh, aspirations for you. I know this college process is thorn in the side. I get the sense. Um, but if you think about clearing it and getting to a place, what are you excited about in the future?
3: Um, there's a whole lot that I'm excited for. There's not like one thing. It's like, oh, I can't wait to do my taxes. <laughs> no one is excited about that, Leah. Um, no one. Well, tell us all the things you're excited about. Um, I think it's going to be exciting to go to college wherever I may go or f- find a career that I actually want to do. But I think it's also going to be like kind of daunting to like move out and start to be on my own and do things on my own. Because like I've always been independent, but this is like I-, I have my mom and dad for everything. But now it's like I'm not going to be living with them. So it's another another barrier is like I can ask them. I can always call them but it's still not like I can walk into the room asking for help. So it's like a little scary to think about us in like a couple of years though. So not, not my concern right now.
1: Yeah. Well, I have no doubt about it. And I know that your parents are more than confident in you as they should be. Uh, I am curious, do you have any particular like role models or people that are idols, whether they're, you know, actors or athletes or, you know, grandmas?
3: Um, I don't really have people that I look like at, like I don't look at people like I want to be you when I'm older. It's more of what they've done to get where they are. That's like, I want to do that when I'm older.
1: That You really are a little bit wiser than uh, is good for the, for your years. <laughs> I, I, I have to say that. So, you know, I'm kind of curious, if you think about where you are right now, you know, ripe old age of 16, um, what, what words, few words, maybe three phrases or words would you use to describe Leah Wilson?
3: Um, uh, I'm a mess. I don't know how to describe myself in a few words. <laughs> Overdetermined, stubborn, creative. There's, there's a whole lot
1: you. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing with you because you're so delightful then to have, gosh, you, you know, the, no comparison, but I had no ability to articulate myself as clearly as you do, Leah. So I want you to know that that's really, really fabulous. I know adults who aren't as grounded in their own skin. So you should feel very, very, very uh, confident about that. Um, I guess I'd ask, you know, as you Look at your friends and, and what, they're all, um, what they're all doing. If, if you were to fast forward in your college years, do you, how many of the friends do you think you have in high school now? Do you think you'd really still be with you?
3: I would say one or two. That's always how it's just kind of been. When I move schools, I have about one or two friends that stick around. Yeah, yeah.
1: I just wondered on social network. You seem like you can really get along with a uh, uh, a lot of different people. That's my sense of you. But that you don't need it. Like I'm really impressed with how grounded you are, my friend. It is really, really, really impressive. Um, okay, let me wrap. Um, you've been talking, you know, sharing about your life, and I, I'm, again, I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, that you have been. And I'm wondering, as you've listened to yourself, Leah, is there a particular takeaway you have from our little conversation?
3: Um, as I told my dad when I was eight, never give up. <laughs> when you were eight, you said that to your dad? He said to me when I was eight years old, oh. Leah, If there was something you would tell yourself, like your future self, tell your younger self, what would you tell tell them? And I said to him, do you mean like never give up? He's like, yes, perfect. And ever since then, this is like for the past like three years, he got me a bracelet in Morse code that says never give up. And I wear it every day. So I kind of live by that now. I love
1: it. You go girl. That's amazing. Uh, okay. To wrap, um, for our listeners, just, uh, share with us, what was it like for you to share your journey in your your very young life, um, to date?
3: Um, I feel like it's become more of a routine because a lot of people have figured out that is there's something different that I've gone through because like, I, it's like, I am always glad to inform people of what I've been through personally so they have a better understanding about more, I guess.
1: You're remarkable. Big virtual hug to you, my friend. I want to thank you for sharing generously and courageously. You've helped us consider the learning disability or differences more of a neuro difference, just how our brains are wired and, and needing to learn a little differently differently. You are a prime example of why I am so upbeat about the prospects for the world ahead because people like uh, young people like you have so much energy and desire and drive to make the world a better place. So I wanna thank you for being part of the solution. And you know, if I can be helpful in any way, you're gonna let me know and uh, know that I'm cheering for you. You take good care, Leah.
3: Thank you so much. I was so glad to be here. I'm not that nervous anymore. (laughs)
1: It's so fantastic. Just think a decade from now, you're going to listen back. Oh, my gosh. Remember when I was 16 and we did this? It's fantastic. Uh, It's going to be so weird. It's fantastic. Okay. You take good care. Um, Okay, folks, my thought for the week, and this is thanks to my dear friend, Bonnie Rubin. A life full and rich with love knows no bounds. It is only contained by the room the heart makes for it. Happy 2022. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Leah's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed and achieve outstanding outcomes at work. And in life,
2: homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The US spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources, so homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem.